Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to this week's episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you, Justin? Doing well. It's nice to be back in the office today, you know, working the old the hybrid. And, and last week you were feeling a little bit under the weather, but but all is clear now, which is nice. Just a little tickle in the throat and probably common whatever is going around. Not anything serious, which is nice. So I'm glad to hear you're back in action. Well, I mean, like all things, you know, as soon as you sneeze, cough, <laughs> right, anything, you're like, oh no, is it COVID? And so right. it was just one of those, I stayed home to avoid, ri- and then it was like, well, if I come back, you know, I so I, I got my my little quick test and everything was good, but it was interesting to be able to work. Like I never got sick enough that I felt like I couldn't work. Right. But also be like, I really shouldn't go anywhere until I know just because. Yeah. Anyways. It doesn't hurt to be a little extra cautious, especially but, nowadays. Yeah. And it's great to be around people. And I think it inspired me, you know, because of the lab and everything. I've pretty much been coming in every day. Like. Yeah. But I But okay. Other key factor child has started school, mm-hmm. wife back at work, she's a teacher. So oh, yeah. now the sound of silence is a new feature of my house where like um, I might go hybrid a little bit here and there, just yeah. depending on what's going on. You're right. No, it's interesting because I actually get, you know, when I'm here, because there's all this pent up like social energy that I'm wanting to release. And so when I'm here, I feel like I just want to talk and socialize and, you know, whether it's work or not, but it, it just working from home for so long. Like I was walking the hallway today, saw someone from HR and of course we struck up a conversation and yeah, it was just nice to see. And it was funny because I haven't seen her. The last time I saw her is when she had just had a baby and this was two years ago. And so I saw her and said, Hey, you know, how's everything? How's the baby? And she's like, the baby's almost two now. And oh yeah, well, I guess I haven't seen you since before <laughs> COVID. So it's nice to see you. And how's the last two years been of your life? You know? And so it's, it's crazy because Time's gone on, but you see people at work and it's like, yeah, it's been quite a while since we actually saw each other. You're not, you know, it hasn't been like two weeks, it's been almost two years. So. Yeah, it's like really exciting to see some people and it is <laughs> yeah. one of those like, wow, I got a lot to catch up on. I also still have my day job. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's good. You know, of course, I can't let you go without speaking about this week's series, you know, with the Rangers. Two and one, right? We went. Yeah. So okay. I was actually at the game on Saturday. Oh, sweet. Um, and Globe Life Field, it's kind of dark. It's a nice new stadium, and they got a lot of good stuff for kids. Brought my son. Oh, sweet. My wife came with me as well, and we we had a great old time. And it was also, I guess, because the Rangers are so horrible. It was about half Astros fans. So, like, you'd hear cheering and, like, realize you'd, you'd assume that so the Rangers did something well. And it was like, no, actually, that was, you know, Correa hit a home run. So, <laughs> yeah. And then Sunday, I'm glad I was just in the car because it was a shellacking Mm, Um, I heard, but you know, the Astros are doing well. It's having all these friends from Dallas. It's quite enjoyable rubbing it in a little bit. Yeah. A few text messages were exchanged. (laughs) You know, there's, there's opportunities there. Perfect. That's great. Well, you know, they're running strong. I think they're almost eight games above the A's now. I think I'd have to go back and look at the standings. I I thought that's what I heard this morning. I think they're 32 games ahead of the Rangers. I think that's the latest. That's definitely something to write home about. I like that. 
Good deal. Anyway, I had to get the baseball chat out of the way, and it looks like Matt was there and cheering, and we walked away with another series win here. So hopefully that continues to you know be the case as we like W's, and especially going into October. I like winning series. Oh, yeah. No All doubt. kinds of series. All kinds of series. Well, I got to ask you, I mean, is there a realistic chance of them making it to the World Series? I mean, I think there is. It's just like you look around and like there are so many good teams. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's like any fandom, right? You look at like, you know, every flaw of your team and you're just like, they're not pitching well enough. This guy stinks, you know, and it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like this little detail. And then you go see some other team play and you're like every single one of their players is amazing. And it's like, mm. well, you've just watched all their highlight reels like you don't. Yeah, you've been watching 162 games of their play and found their flaws and weaknesses. And (laughs) so, I mean, I would, you know, they're they're a phenomenally good team, but they're streaky. Right. And, you know, they've got a few things to get together, but Urquidy should be back very soon. Okay. I mean, there's just there's a lot to like all around as long as they can remember that they're good at hitting. Right. So no, that the bats are huge, especially in the bullpen, too. We'll see how that goes. And Granky, I heard, is kind of iffy moving forward. I don't know what the details are on that, but... I mean, he got rocked, and I don't know. He just hasn't done well this year, so... Time will tell. Time will tell, and we'll definitely... Matt will tell everyone about it if you miss the games. (laughs) We get the highlight reel from Matt, or the not highlight reel, depending on if they win or lose. I digress. Anyway, Matt, so you actually had another great idea, mud mixing. And it's common at the rig when you're drilling ahead, you're mixing product, keeping up with properties, and you're mixing mud. But to build mud, there's different ways of doing it. And it, and if you're in a position with a company who has infrastructure nearby, or most companies do, you can either build mud in the plant or you can build mud on location. Depending on the operation, definitely economics plays a huge role. But I think it's important to sort of distinguish the differences perhaps advantages versus disadvantages or things to be aware of if you're going to build mud in the plant versus the rig site. Matt, is that is, is that what we're doing today? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's just interesting because we've we've run into both situations, right? Or we've had a customer be like, I want to mix oil-based mud on the rig. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, well, why, you know, what do you think? Sometimes it actually makes sense. Sometimes it really doesn't. And right. so understanding the benefits, you know, advantages, disadvantages, all those things, I think really matters. And obviously there's a whole number of factors that go into a decision. And so I thought it would be good to kind of kick those around and I'm sure we won't get them all, but I will get enough for conversation's sake. Yeah, no. And it's, it's again, strike up conversation, satisfy some, perhaps some curiosity, maybe folks that have never been exposed to what building mud in a mud plant is all about. And so I think hopefully answering or clearing some things up. So let's start with liquid mud plants you know, just high level, you know, what is a liquid mud plant? You hear people talk about it and, oh, we'll get mud from the plant, but but what is it? So, I mean, a liquid mud plant, is it's sort of interesting because I guess when you hear plant, you think like, you know, like a cannery or a manufacturer, you know, a bunch right. of machine tools. And, you know, the thing is you're you're really blending and, and mixing chemicals together, right? But it's designed to do that. So typically you've got some really good mixing pits, round, hopefully, you probably have, you know, everything that you would want to rapidly mix large volumes of fluid. And normally, especially if we're talking about oil-based mud, you've got mud in storage that you can use as kind of a base or a seed, we call it seed mud. And so you can take some mud that's in reasonably good condition, build some new volume on top of that to put it in really good condition, Mm -hmm. truck it up and load it out. And I mean, you know, just the extra equipment, the ability to readily transfer bayrite pneumatically possibly even from more than one source, yeah. you know, bulk additions of additives for people who all they do 
is mixed. So, you know, even if you're handling things in big bags and stuff, most rigs can't do that. So bulk transfers, good shearing lines to make sure the products yield properly and blend together well, good hopper. And, and the thing is like, we know rigs where they have good mixing equipment. We know rigs where they have crummy mixing equipment because you can sort of get, a, I don't know if get away with is right, the right word, mm. but when you're, you're mixing whole mud all day, every day at a mud plant, it's something you're not really willing to compromise on. Right. So you're, you're going to have a lot of this equipment that's, that's probably in, in decent shape. Right. And then just, you know, I, I mean, so think of it, you've got, let's say, we'll go very basic. We've got two 250-barrel round mixing pits. We've got a nice hopper attached to that. We've got some good, you know, good lines, some, some nozzles that, that shear everything up. So it's designed for mixing. I can, I've got a tank farm right next to me, so I can transfer li- that liquid mud I mentioned it over. I have my mix. I can easily access the hopper to add products. Everybody sort of knows what they're doing yeah. because they make these big formula, you know, bulk formulations all the time. Yeah. So, you know, there's huge benefits there. And, and, you know, normally it's associated with a warehouse. So now I have all the product in the world that I need, so I'm not going to run out. Right. I don't need to call out more trucks. If there, I might be able to substitute something if something's running low. And really the goal is just to get the right properties to send it out. And then I guess, you know, the other things to keep in mind with a liquid mud plant is you're off critical path. And, and by that, I mean, you know, if we needed to mix 2,000 barrels of, of mud, that's one thing to do it at a mud plant and say, okay, just come get it. Versus at the rig, you've got to figure out when you're going to do that, yeah. where you're going to put it. So maybe you either need more frack tanks. You've got to figure out when there are hands available or bring in extra hands. And then, for example, if it's something like oil-based mud, where we've, we've talked about a number of times that needs, you know, a good amount of shear to get it mixed up properly, you know, your rig mixing equipment probably isn't ideal for that. Right. So generally speaking, you know, and, and so let's say it's not ideal, and then I go to this place, and I have to spend more time conditioning my mud to get it into shape to drill out. So even if I'm able to mix the whole volume, there's still going to be work to be done to get it into drilling shape once I've mixed it at the rig. Yeah. So the mud plant kind of sort of either dramatically eliminates or reduces a bunch of that. Right. No. And it's, I mean, obviously like Matt said, it's, you have dedicated personnel where all they do is mix mud. And so they're used to identifying, you know, whether it's problems or making sure there's, you know, tricks of the trade. Hey, we got to mix this at a certain ratio. They know their equipment. They know what it takes to achieve certain properties. Whereas on a rig, sometimes you may not have exactly what you, you may think you have what you, what you need, but if a pump is not operating at 90% efficiency or, you know, at a high enough efficiency, you may not be getting the shear. And so at the plant, again, it's, you can design it to spec and, there's people constantly has have eyes on it. They can do constant mud checks. They can tweak it. If you need, you know, certain properties that are listed by the customer or by the mud engineer, they can get it basically right on. And if they need extra time, they don't have a company representative, you know, asking them, Hey, when's it going to be ready? When's it going to be ready? Unless it's a, you're in a situation where you need mud at the rig. And so, yeah, they're hurrying it up and makes, maybe it's a well control situation or whatever the case is. But for the most part, they have a decent amount of time to be able to take their time, mix everything. And yeah, what else? I was going to say that there's a really good point when you mentioned well control though, because that's one thing where, you know, our mud plants, I know, you know, especially our Kermit facility out in West Texas that, you know, we brag on a lot. I mean, it's just the sheer scale of it. 
Mm-hmm. But like we had a customer the other day that was on well control and well, I don't, I don't think they were actually a customer of ours. They were using somebody else or whatever, but they were on well control and needed mud. Mm. And we were able to just get it to them so fast yeah. that it was, you know, you make a phone call and turn it right around. And it was because we have this equipment right. that's designed to make it happen as quickly as possible. You wouldn't do that at the rig site, yes. especially in the middle of a well control event where you're looking at a lot of other parts of your procedure. Right. Um, I want to think about you mixing mixing my kill mud while I go fill out my kill sheets and make sure I've got, you know, the well secured for the time being. Yep. So that's another really good point you brought up there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's nice because it's, you know, we always like to tell our customers that our mud plant is just an extension of their mud pits. And so, you know, it's, I mean, although it takes a few hours to get to, you know, from point A to point B, you know, use it as we need it. What do you need? to spec different mud weights this that and the other and again so if there's some sort of unique products that you want applied you know again we have everything at the warehouse so and then you know efficiency is one thing safety is another there's a lot of products that you know require certain ppe and when all your you know your entire job focuses around mixing something you're going to have the right ppe you're going to have the people that you know have the right sops in place because it's not often that you build mud from scratch at a rig and then oftentimes you can use perhaps maybe more product than you would have otherwise so again some more advantages to it and we're just so fortunate to have the equipment and the infrastructure and the people that we have in place in places like kermit and all over the place here in the u.s it's certainly a nice capability if you will. absolutely yeah so then let's switch on to the rig side of things because there are times, and if you're in a very remote area, you know, I've been not down here per se on a rig doing this, but up in Canada, there, you know, you may be eight, 10 hours from a mud plant. And so you actually have a mud, it's like a mini mud plant on location. And so you're having to mix mud, store it, mix mud, store it. But you do have capabilities of doing that. But Matt, what, what else does that look like if you were to say build mud at the rig site? Well, I mean... It can be as, you know, it could be a drill out or what have you of of mixing the whole mud volume through all the rig pits, Mm -hmm. which is to me kind of a worst case scenario, but something that obviously can be done. And then I think when we know we're sort of up against that, you talk to the customer about how much time they could save if they do bring in a couple of extra hands yeah, and, you know, a little, a mixing skid, even some, you know, you can have something as simple as a hundred barrel pit with a mixing hopper. You know, and hopefully you have something more than that, but you at least can mix mix some things efficiently in a batch, transfer to a frack tank or to one of the rig tanks, and kind of off you go. It, it's going to take longer because it's not as specialized, it's not as big, but in a remote location like that, it's maybe, you know, the most practical thing you can do because you're not going to pay to truck mud that far and then pay to truck it back and, and that yeah. sort of thing. And, I mean... You know, sometimes there are certain situations where it's just easier to build it on location, but you've got to have all of that product out on location. Granted, you might not, you know, you might not be transporting liquids necessarily or, you know, but it's still a factor. I guess that I've had some conversations where, you know, we've talked about transfers and sampling and, you know, trucks, vac trucks carry anything. Right. And what they carried, oh, yeah, we steam cleaned them sometimes. <laughs> uh, so at least you you eliminate some of that contamination risk. But the flip side of that is on a rig, if you're not used to mixing whole mud that much, you'll find other ways to find contamination by discovering, you know, what valves are leaky and, you know, you thought you could isolate here, but you can't. 
So it's tricky on that end. You know, and, and we've already discussed, you know, rig quality varies, right? Some rigs can handle big bags and they can do a lot of other cool things that make it pretty convenient and actually safer handling than yeah. having to just cut sacks. Others, you know, we know the hopper sucks. You can complain all you want about how the gun lines don't have any shear. Yeah. But it's t- it tends to be like not the biggest priority. And I would say so oil-based mud just because of the shear and some of, you know, the sheer amount of material that you need and mixed properly and the time required, it almost always makes sense at a mud plant unless you're in a remote location. But water-based mud is a little bit funnier just because especially, you know, when you're looking at surface and some of these other things, if, if you have a water source available, you're just trucking pallets, right? You're just, tr- and maybe even just some bulk gel or... Right. And so at that point, if you can use location water, now you're not transporting all that volume and weight of that stuff. And so it may make sense, especially if you're starting with a water-based mud system that you're going to use for a couple of sections. Like you might start out a spud mud and then you break it over for something for the intermediate. Yeah. And so then then it starts to make a little bit more sense. And I would add, so like direct emulsion is pretty easy to mix on location if you wanted to. Yeah. And the big thing there is you're mostly mixing liquids anyways. So there for us, it's about like having bigger pump, you know, pumps and hoses to transfer fluid quickly into the ta- the pits Yeah, because blending it is pretty straightforward once it gets there, you know, and then I'll go back to just, you know, do you have the people available? Because it may sound really straightforward. Oh, we'll just mix the mud before we start drilling. But normally before you start drilling, you are not going to have it. Everyone's going to be busy rigging up getting everything, you know, troubleshooting whatever, you know, on their checklist wasn't working since the rig move, <laughs> all that good stuff, right? So yeah, unless unless like, well, we'll bring in a, few, a couple of people for a couple of days, we'll just focus on that. It could be a problem. So, I mean, the rig site is kind of like, you know, I don't know, you can work on your car in a driveway, but if your buddy has like one of those garages with a lift and everything, <laughs> yeah. If it's available, you're probably going to use it. Yeah, no, that's you know? actually a great analogy. And I would say generally speaking, and I know there's sort of, you know, situations where it doesn't apply, but water-based muds typically are built on location. Now, things like RDF fluids, reservoir drilling fluids, Matt, would you, because you have a lot of experience in that. So if we're talking specialty water-based muds, would you, those typically get built in the plant or? Yes. And I mean, you know, there's a number of good reasons. One is... A lot of times there's a dedicated completion fluids plant used because you want everything clean. You don't want any mm-hmm. non-acid soluble, forma- potentially formation damaging additives. And so it'll normally be mixed at something that predominantly handles brines. I'm not sure after this hurricane what's left of it in Fushan, but there were several, like most deep water operators had like their RDF and completion fluid plant mm, okay. and then a separate mud plant, like totally gotcha. separate. Interesting. And so you minimize that contamination. Everybody kind of knew what they were doing as far as mixing it. And, you know, you were transferring all of this volume into a clean boat that was inspected by somebody who knew what they were doing. And so you would almost always mix those at a plant. Hmm. Plus, they usually have a lot of starch in them. And if you know anything about mixing those kind of starches, it takes like a million years. (laughs) <laughs> uh, to not have like fish eyes and other sort of things. And so gotcha. you would almost always mix them 
or, or at the very least, you would, you would mix everything. And most RDFs are 100% fresh, right? Like even oil-based mud. Mm. And because of that, you would you'd mix it at the rig side. You'd mix it onshore. And maybe the only thing you would add offshore is like really large pieces of calcium carbonate that you were afraid would fall out of the boat on the way or gotcha. out of a truck. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I would say that's almost exclusively, although I've I've definitely mixed them on location before, mm. but it's just, it's a lot harder to do. Gotcha. No, and I think it's, you know, although there's not too many that are deployed here on land in, in the lower 48, it's something to be aware of. And I know that we've had, you know, we've had to get creative at our mud plant to mix them and, and for different for different circumstances, but RDF is kind of a unique breed in itself. And so I just thought that I'd bring that up because it's, it's one, like you said, that there, it's, it's very sensitive. And so you have to really be careful if you were to mix it on a rig with, you know, cleaning and everything like you mentioned before. And so then, you know, that kind of leads into there, there are hybrid sort of ways of building fluids partially at the plant, bring it, you know, kind of bolt on at the, at the rig site, if you will. Talk a little bit about hybrid style mixing. So, I mean, it may be that you just mix the difficult stuff and send it out, like get a good base mud going. This could be, I mean, even just like a slurry or a premix and then treating it up at the rig site. And, you know, one example of this that I've encountered is with really heavy mud because of, you know, road limitations, you wouldn't be able to fill the truck. And so what you would do is you'd mix whatever mud weight is maximum allowable to fill up the truck and send that out and then weight it up on location the rest of the way with, but you still, you know, like we've talked about for waiting up, you still need base oil and weight material, wetting agent and more weight material. Mm. But at the very least, you're kind of most of the way there, which if you'd imagine, let's say you need a 15 pound mud and you can't transport anything heavier than 12, just hypothetically, that's still a lot of Bayrite, but it's a lot less than starting at, you know, seven and a half pound slurry. Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely something that comes up, you know, and, the, and then like the hybrid side of things, you know, even just having portable mixed pits where, you know, you're going to build a lot of volume or, or you're just worried about needing to build volume because you're expecting a lot of losses. Right. And so I've seen sort of this, I call it this hybrid, but you got a large enough location where you can get a little mix pit out there mm -hmm. and it's more just kind of like insurance during some exploration work that, you know, we could get some volume quickly and we're too far away. So, you know, you, and you'll even get like kind of more up in the type of, you know, Canada, old man camp <laughs> yeah. remote where, where they'll have basically, like you said, like a mini mud plant. And a lot of those man camps, you know, they service multiple locations but it's a way to sort of feed out and store, you know, stage things. Yeah. But you're kind of covering for a couple of rigs. Yeah. So, and, and those portable plants, I mean, they can be, they can be as basic or as elaborate as, as you can imagine. I've seen some pretty fancy ones and I've also, you know, I was Eastern Mediterranean, you know, not a lot of infrastructure out, out there. And there was one that was all these, frack tanks with like a mix hopper and everything. It was all like hard piped together. It was, it was very hmm. interesting. But then I've, you know, I was on a well in East Texas in Woodville and we were drilling underbalanced. And thankfully the directional guys didn't know how to have a functioning tool. And so, you know, our, our static mud weight was like 13 pounds or something, but to get, to get out of the well, to kill it, to get out of the hole for the, I don't know how many trips, 
you needed like 500 barrels of 18 pound mud to kill it. Right. And so we had basically, it was like a tank, but it had a hopper and we could tie into our bulk silo system for Bayrite. Nice. And you would basically offline mix your 500 barrels of kill mud, not using the rig system, not tying up those rig pits or anything, hmm. then transferred over to kill the well. And, you know, you're supposed to wait to make some more, but I got pretty used to making more in anticipation of the next tool failure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we only use that to make kill mud. We didn't use that to make any other volume. Yeah, no, actually, that's interesting. I've heard of that quite often. And like you said, it's as long as you have a pit tied into a hopper and a pump and a place to store it, which a lot of times was, you know, those those premix pits with a hopper it may hold 100, 150 barrels. Yeah, it's it's really not too bad. You just need the extra hands and you need the, you know, the less space on location to do it. But it, again, you can get pretty simple and still mix mud. I mean, at the end of the day, you just need fluid to move around in a place to cut sacks. <laughs> so Yeah. I mean it, it comes down like it comes down to everything, right? Like rig time is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, do I really want to truck all that product out there just to mix it? And sometimes the answer is yes, because my next best alternative isn't very good. Right. So, you know, you just have to weigh out these options and, you know, sometimes maybe Maybe it's a toss-up, but most of the time I feel like it's it's pretty clear. Yeah. You know, if I can use a mud plant, I probably will, other than with water-based mud. And even then, if you give me the option of upgrading equipment or at least, you know, having a few more bells and whistles, I will always say yes. Right. And I think it is sometimes pretty obvious, but a lot of where it's a tough decision is is when you only need, say, kill mud on location. You're drilling with, say, 10.5 and, and you need 150 barrels of, say, 14-pounder. 400 barrels of 14 pound, then you have to really start looking at the economics of like, hey, is it, is it worth the, tr- like, what's more expensive trucking it in or is it more expensive building it? And so your cost per barrel sometimes is de- what determines whether you build it at the plant or build it at the rig. And so, but generally speaking, yeah, if you're going to get a, a full system or, you know, anything, because I mean, all what you can do too is if you're at the rig, and you, you build volume while you're drilling, which is you're, Essentially, yeah, you're not you're not building it from scratch. You're just adding on to the volume you have, and so. But for all sort of general purposes, building mud from scratch at a considerable amount of volume, the plant is easier. You're likely to get a more quality, sort of consistent fluid. But you can still do it at the rig if you've got the right equipment. And then again, a lot of it comes down to economics. But I think we covered, you know, all sides. And and Matt, is there anything else you wanted to cover or relay? No, I mean, I, I just think it's an interesting thing when we get asked the question, hey, are we going to mix this at the plant or, you know, just kind of going through the thought process with a customer? Yeah, perfect. Well, with that said, if anyone has any questions, thoughts, or if you'd like to add to what we spoke about today, please reach out on either LinkedIn or you can email us at the Flowline Podcast at asfluids.com. And if you could like, review, and share this with anyone that you think may be interested. Thanks for all the support. Keep listening. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.